Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of answering your questions, no matter what you ask us for. This week, we're going to follow up on our previous session of questions about Fringeworthy, and we're specifically setting aside the whole episode for the question that was posted to us in a voicemail. Yep. about what happened in the time between the discovery of the Fringe Portal and the actual beginning of the exploration of the Fringe Pass. So, John, you've got that recording, right? Yep. Uh, I'll start out with the uh, introduction piece, and then I'll play the recording. Hi, this is Paul out in Colorado Springs. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks for the invite. And his question... What is the state of Earth Prime? The announcement of the Fringe Pass by Professor Hatsumi has to have thrown the world's religions and their political blocks into turmoil. Russia, China, the Middle East, and the African nations have to be agitating against control by Australia, a former British colony and an ally to the United States and NATO. Russia, even with General Barodin, their own man in place, is likely expanding their own presence on the Ross Ice Shelf by military means to counter the American presence at McMurdo Station. China recently launching their own aircraft carrier, is going to be on the ice for their share. Then there's the environmental foundations that will be protesting the further intrusion into the Antarctic ecosystem by non-scientific military missions. A cold war in the Antarctic Sea is beginning. All right. That's pretty deep. Sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Yep. Rex, we're being attacked. Don't you worry, Dolores. Oh, Rex will dodge those sky pirates. El Tarib, I knew I smelled something foul when I passed by Catawonga. So, Rex, what are we going to do? Well, my dear, you're going to man that 50 cal on the roof to it. Me? I'm going to do some fancy flying. Man up, Tareem. Rick's Havoc is coming through. Explore the world of the hardwired hinterland. Visit the lands of New Akron, almost Canada, and new old New York. Deal with Sky Pirates and the natives of Etawanga. It's your new home and your new life. Make of it what you will. The Hardwire Hinterland is a systemless role-playing campaign supplement from TriTech Games. You can use this supplement with any role-playing game rules that you like. Available as a PDF from TriTechGames.com. That's TriTechGames.com. Come to the Hardwire Hinterlands and let your imagination soar! 
Yeah, well, the first thing you turns my stomach. Hasty lumbagos, Tareeb. Rex, shut up and keep flying. Don't worry, Dolores. I'll keep them flying. Over the hard-wired hinterland. Okay, but back to our standard... Yeah. They managed to get the uh, dome of Hatsumi Base built on top of White Island in less than a year. Yeah. Who would design it? Who would design all the different parts to it? We know there's a nuclear reactor in it, though I think that most of the power would be provided by standard diesel generators. But, I mean, that's my opinion. Who would actually design the dome uh, on Hatsumi Base? Have you seen the new construction at... uh the South Pole. They actually built a building uh, above above the ice that moves. With that, basically, they can just hook a tr- hook some trucks up to and move as needed. Well, the one we have in the book, John, is pretty big, so they, you can't pull that around. And that is that is supposed to be a dome because we have pictures uh, in the book of a dome being built. He's doing domes these days. Would it be transparent? Would you be able to see all of it? I'm sure there would be places you could see out of it. Yeah. How about the Chinese? I mean, they're the ones that are building 30-story buildings in a day. That's true. And they're probably losing about the 10% of the workers in the process. That's not really the issue here, John. They said they built it in a year. So, I mean, who's got, you know, who, who's got the ability to construct and design this kind of a building? Some of the Chinese do. Uh, they actually are several American designers because they built, like I said, they're building Arctic buildings. Uh, there's also several German designers who specialize in Antarctic uh, construction. I would say there'd be all various kinds of designs. A dome would be one. Also, you would get people who want to build, you know, just buildings, basically, up on the island. Just build a ma- massive uh, building complex uh, instead of a dome. Um, but they're going to build a dome, John. <laughs> it's in the game. Come on, it's in the it's it's, it's in the current game. Yeah, but yeah, the military. Well, unless you want to change it in the next edition, which you're fine to do. At which point, we'll do another episode, John, about all the things that were changed. Yep, the people who built the most domes are, are the British. The British actually have built several domes over and over valleys for uh, gardens and so forth. Basically, these are large greenhouses. There are actually domes. So the British actually have some experience in building domes, and so did the Germans. So it would probably be a, co- uh, a co-German-British uh, venture to build the, build the dome over, uh, over the base in Hatsumi, down in on White Island. So it's partly over the ice as well, so that there's uh, some coverage on the ice. There's a, a particular one that i am just, just pulled up on the web. A Swedish-American company called Plantagon has conceived of an incredible solution, which is a massive urban greenhouse contained with a geodesic dome. A vertical farm, which consists of a spiral ramp inside of a, sp- a spherical dome, and is currently under development stages. This thing looks like it's about, I was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe 15 stories tall, which is about the same size as the... Fl- as the the floor plan of Hatsumi Base. So if you were to example, you were to like do something like this and use the upper levels primarily for growing crops, then the Hatsumi Base could support itself. I mean, it would have to have a lot of power in order to be able to, you know, provide lighting in the cold months. I mean, it's a really amazing picture. They have a they have a photo gallery here. I'm pretty sure these are all 
computer generated. It's pretty interesting. It's called inhabit.com slash Plantagon. <laughs> this is kind of the exciting thing that we think about when we do talk about Fringeworthy. We talk about this amazing structure they built down there, you know, for if no other reason than they were inspired by the amazingness of the under, uh, under ice dome that they were connected to. And I think that's what this game should be about. And that's why I think that's one reason why I like the idea of this kind of stuff in the Antarctic. What I'm thinking about is the Eden Project Geodesic Domes. This was in Cornwall, England. Actually, a series of domes. Yeah. Now, it's a greenhouse. It does rain and does snow there. It could be a single dome. It could be multiple domes as, as needed. I can see uh, various groups getting together to build either one big dome or, if more feasible, a series of domes. The dome we see in the, in the book is just one, the first of several domes being built. But it's a huge dome, so I figured that it probably would be the big one they would be working toward. There might be some small ones that they collapse into the big one because, A, that provides more security, B, it, it provides a more social, a sustainable atmosphere for, as you talked about, staying through the winter. If you actually are going to stay through the winter, you need some space to move around that you're controlling the environment in. That's true. And it makes a bigger target for terrorists. No, no, no. Uh. Hey, you know, it, it, <laughs> but they're in the same boat in the sense that if there's going to be terrorism, it's going to be on the inside. And wouldn't you rather have some space between you and the terrorist? Uh, yes, that's true. In my adventure, Escape from Hatsumi Base, I make it possible to blow up part of Hatsumi Base. And you can do that in that big dome. It'd all be over if it was smaller. A couple of things that probably are missing in the first two years, though. At some point, uh, General Borden or whoever, or, or later on down the line, will probably bring in a uh, wildfire device into the ice dome itself. And for those unfamiliar with the term wildfire device... It'll be like a uh, 11, uh, 11 kiloton nuclear nuclear bomb. It's designed to kill anything that comes into the dome and clean it up. What is wipe it clean? Uh, it's a fail-safe device to prevent anything from getting, getting into the dome and getting onto our world. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. Uh, 11 kilotons is just right because the, the fireball is the size of the dome. <laughs> it'll take care of everything in there, and because it's under a dome, it'll actually be intensified pretty much, you know, kill whatever comes through at that point. And it's guaranteed to kill any kind of Master Miller that comes through because they may be fireproof, they may be kinetic damage-proof, but they're usually not both at the same time. So heat will kill them or the kinetic energy will kill them, which or the other. <laughs> but not in the first couple of years. First couple of years... There'll be guards, there'll be guys, that, you know, actually guys in, in bio suits because they start worrying about contamination. The first quarantine, they'll actually realize that the first time that people come back from another world and they get put in quarantine, they're going to find out that they're cleaner than what they went through. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's something that's never mentioned in any of the fringeworthy lore. Yes. That nobody has ever tested out cleaner coming back. But that is sort of one of those obvious things. I mean, I'd say some may actually have an STD, you know, and they come back and the STD is gone. I mean, that's going to catch people's attention. You know, someone has herpes and it's gone to come back. That will get people's attention. If they have a minor cold and that cold's gone when they got when they enter the portals. Oh, yeah, the World Health Organization would have a field day with that. And when they come back from someplace, they're going to find that they test clean. 
we, we have established so it only takes care of viruses and bact- and bacterium and, and uh, microorganisms. It does not take care of things like tapeworms or lice. Or schistosomiasis. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't handle it, it parasites. Trichinosis. Yeah, but the parasites will be clean. Yeah, they'll be very healthy parasites. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very healthy. I, I, I actually was talking to my group. They realized, okay, they'll still be quarantined, even though we know you get cleaned of all these nasty germs and so forth, because of the parasites. Because the last thing you want to do is introduce a alien parasite to Earth. So you still have to go to quarantine to get checked for parasites. Which means, here's this large jug, what, drink it. Sit in the bathroom for two hours, and then we're going to have to check you for parasites. We have some good news, we have some bad news. But, the but bad e- news is you're covered in parasites. The good news is they're clean parasites. Right. But even if they do come to the conclusion that it's doing this, I still see they're going to put them still in the quarantine because, A, there's always a chance there's a bug that the portal's not going to identify. And B, everybody else in the world is not going to believe you when you tell them that it cleans up everything. Yeah, sure. How do we know that's true? You know, I mean, why should we trust you? You know, you go get yourself into quarantine for at least a couple of days. Because I can see the UN impaneling a large group of science fiction authors from around the world asking them, what, can we wor- what do we need to worry about coming from alternate worlds? And some guy will say, intelligent bacteria. And if you have intelligent bacteria that's fringe-worthy, they will pass through just fine, won't they? Well, I guess possibly so, yeah. And there's another reason to do that. It is a golden opportunity for the U.N. to say, these people are in quarantine. You can't talk to them. Only we can talk to them, which is the truth. And so that gives them two days to debrief and to digest the information that these teams are bringing back with them before they have to let the press of the world and the various groups get have access to them. Politically, it's very useful to them to, to maintain this quarantine. Yeah, I mean, they'll probably be in quarantine for a week. But yeah, the first couple of days, yeah. It, only uh, only uh, the United Nations will have, actually only UNITA will have access to them. At that point, then after that, they can make phone calls back home, or actually probably video calls back home, and there'll be a, and there'll be some place you can have press conferences. And I, I would say that the that's going to be one of the first things you're going to do is build a quarantine facility right there, right next to to the portal station in the dome. Right when I when you put it in the dome, right in the dome, right by the portal. In fact, seal the portal off. It, the picture shows it as being wide open. That gets sealed off. There'll be an air airlock to get vehicles in and, and bring it bring it in and out so they can get decontaminated, and then there's a tunnel to the to these Quonset huts where they'll be staying for a week or so, be you know, or, or actually initially a couple weeks for uh, for quarantine. The only way you get into that dome is is in a bio suit. After that, except for the team going through, they're going to be going through without bio suit. But you know, that's that's their problem. In some ways, the cat's already out of the bag because. Senyuri went through and came back, and she went traveling the world looking for Fringeworthy before she came back to the UN to present those Fringeworthy along with herself with her, her uncle. She could have seeded anything throughout the world, and nobody would have ever known until way too late. Oh, Schmert had has flea dip. Yeah. I mean, who knows? You say intelligent bacteria. How about intelligent fleas? Schmerz, little bioengineer, little helper friends who might have just easily jumped onto her 
and she carried them back to Earth, and they could be anywhere on Earth doing whatever it is that Schmert wants them to do. That's true. So there's there's some possibilities there for a lot of interesting things later on in the campaign, even in the early campaign that's just being done very surreptitiously. Oh, yeah. Because we really don't know what Schmert's other agendas are. We know he's there to fix the French pass, but is that all he's there to do? He messed with Sarieri's mind. He messed with the Viscount Greystone's mind. They both were, when you listen to the stories, their stories are nearly identical. They come walking, they enter the portal, they go for a walk, they enter a, a field, and there's this giant house tree, and they get and they talk to Schmert, and they come back with the almost the exact information inside their heads. So Schmert is doing this at least first time people through. So Lord knows what was inside of uh, Captain Oates's head. He might have Oates may have been in the same situation. He may have had the same kind of information in his head as well. Yeah, but we'll never know that. Unless you decide to put it into his notebooks. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of. The 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret, even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Bureau 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. It's available from Tritag Games at TritagGames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Bureau 13 will be there. But the evil is growing. All right, so we got the dome. We've got these strange collection of people who are rotating in and out and permanent like that. They're trying to build a dome. They're trying to build some kind of a permanent access to the base. What's McMurdo doing during all this? What do you think, Trav? Hmm, let's see, McMurdo, that's the American base. I would say scientific base, I take it. It's primary scientific, sure. Yeah. I would say then they'd be taking measurements on the electrostatic barrier. They'd be checking out the portal itself. Not only the interface, the black interface, but I mean the metal of it. And, of course, obviously they're going to try to take a sample. That's not going to work. They'll want to check out the buildings. They'll have archaeologists down there checking out how old these buildings are. They'll have metallurgists down there checking out the composition of the buildings and the portal. So you think there's going to be a big buildup? of that particular base, since it's right there? Oh, yeah, it'll have to, just to support this flood of scientific personnel to accommodate to, oh, look, we have all this new stuff. Well, we're going to need metallurgists, we're going to need archaeologists, we're going to need, oh, let's see if there's writing of any type, translators, philologists. It it houses close to uh, 2,000 people as it is right now. It may be the big brother base for uh, Hatsumi Base. If you're going interior to the Antarctic, you go to McMurdo Sound first. With the increase in traffic, they're going to build a permanent airfield at that point. Because right now, the airfields are on the ice. 
global warming's happening. The ice is melting, and the airfields may may shift. You're going to need a better and more permanent airfield at that mm. point, which means they're going to be probably taking a top of a hill or a mountain to make a make an air a permanent airfield. So here you have all these diesel generators going all over the place because of all these different groups. Is it going to be like so smoggy in the morning you can't see anything anymore? Uh, yeah. Yeah. At that point, someone will suggest a nuclear power station, and every Greenpeacer will, ha- will have kittens, and the kittens will have kittens, and the kittens will have, have tigers. Well, this is one of the reasons I thought that they wanted to put in that nuclear power plant in the Hatsumi base, was because of the without it, with the size of the base and all the other things that were around it, that they were going to be doing every other form of power generation is going to throw so much pollution around that it's really going to be messing with the ecosystem more than the potential for the nuclear power plant to do. Well, let's see. you got the time of the year where they're going to be down there in a six-month summer type thing. Get big old solar panels, put them out on the ice, and then transfer the electricity down. Or actually, you can mount them on the island. Actually, uh, you you may actually want to mount them on the island because you can mount them up high and get get longer coverage than you could on the down the ice. What I meant on on the ice was on the surface. Put the, these photovoltaic panels up to collect, you know, all the sunlight that's going to be out there for all that time. Yeah, but this isn't the equator. I mean, the sunlight's so bleak down there in the Antarctic. I mean, how much power are you going to get off of those things? Doesn't uh, the like, only get sunlight, like, only in summer? And only exactly. at best a sunset, sunrise, sunset, and not an actual day? And, and, and Trav, you'd have to mount them on, on rotating gimbals because the sun goes around the horizon. This is where someone said, okay, we're going to build a nuclear power plant. Let's try something new and try a thorium nuclear, nuclear reactor. Now, I don't know if you folks have heard of this. No. But thorium actually... Uh, melts at a much, much lower temperature, so you can actually operate it as a liquid reactor. And it's much safer than a uranium-based reactor. And thorium is a lot more available than uranium is, so it's actually a lot cheaper to operate. And its byproduct, and its byproducts are actually not, not radioactive. So you could actually, so I could see them installing a, experimental thorium reactors down there to power, those, power both bases. To take take care of all that pollution, so that you have you can see these experimental reactors being put in place. Ultimately, they'll tell the French really find us a working fusion reactor. That way, we can just solve that problem altogether. Yeah, in the original French worthy, it was set twenty years in the future, so you could pause at all kinds of scientific discoveries in the meantime. So, putting a experimental tokamak reactor, fusion powered reactor, is what the way it goes. In my game, I, I, I pretty much did the same thing, John. I, I postulated that within the, you know, the year three, they ran across a, a high-tech culture that had fusion power. The culture, after spending a little bit of time hearing about the Earth and looking at its history, said, you guys are way too dangerous for us to give you this kind of technology. So we're going to give you a nice self-contained fusion power reactor that's way too high-tech for you ever to understand in the next 100 years. But you'll be able to use it. And you already have fusion bombs anyway, so we're not worrying about you creating a fusion bomb. You won't be able to turn this into a fusion bomb, but it'll give you power 
and, but we can control it because we control the technology because it's too advanced for you. Yeah, it's the size of a, of a large coffee grinder, and it's called Mr. Fusion. No, no, no. I, I, it was a little bit bigger than that because it was providing enough power for the entire base and surrounding areas. I figured it was about the size of a minivan. The base itself will, you know, will be under a dome of some sort. Uh, then at that point, you, you actually can build more proper buildings in that dome then. In fact, if you look at McMurdo Sound, they actually don't live in habs anymore. They actually live in regular buildings. They actually have gone through and built real buildings um, at McMurdo Station. So they, you know, they do have habs. Uh, uh, when I say habs, these are cargo container-sized rooms, basically, because they fit really well on a, on, a, on a deck of a ship. They were brought in and set up that way, and then but they're now, like, Surplus, so I can actually see what what Borden got was uh, was surplus halves from McMurdo Sound from McMurdo Station, and then he got whatever else he could get to put down there. So there'll be this little initially in the first year there'll be this little mishmash of orange halves and whatever color else the ones are all over the place. Diesel generators running and guys running back and forth going, "This is two tw- this is two twenty three phase. That's one tenth two phase." I gotta make them work together. <laughs> the first couple years until everybody gets on the same page, you're going to have the mishmash of technology. And like you said earlier, John, it's gonna be a tech geek's dream because it's like, ooh, we get to build this stuff that'll have all this stuff work together. And just you'll see all the, the tech geeks, especially, you know, the people who deal with power just grinning from ear to ear because they're going to have, oh, this is, you know, for the biggest scientific discovery of all time. Oh, yeah. And, of course, PR for them will be good, too. The initial generators we coming from McMurdo Station, they're military generators, which means they run on 223 uh, phase. I know this because that's what we had when I was in the military, uh, and, which means you get the one from South Africa. It doesn't run on 223 phase. It runs on... Uh, was it 160, 162 phase? So they use this guy going, okay, we're going to need to order more wire. Why? I'm going to build a transformer. And he, he uses up all the wire that they have to build a transformer so they can step it down to to 162 phase. <laughs> you know, so all the wire, all the copper wire disappears in the place. And, and also some, uh, you know, whatever he can, he, he can have to make an iron core at that point. <laughs> You're finding out that copper wire all of a sudden is going, you know, the the price of copper is even getting even higher. Well, in the time we have left, let's talk a little bit more about the political. You said it's going to be a political hotbed, but, you know, how is the existence of the Fringe Pass going to change the landscape of politics of the world? Who are the first countries to get down there with people? Japan was first. Yeah, due to the climatological expedition. Yeah. Then you have New Zealand, maybe Australia, and definitely in America, from American base in, in Australia. And then the rest start showing up in a piecemeal. It's implied that the stability of the ASA is partially the result of the fact that they discovered the French best, and they had to work together to make sure that the first world didn't take everything for themselves. That's implied in, in the story about the ASA. That creates a very strong third world force that's going to then start affecting all the other politics in the rest of the world. What other things do you see happening with this? Granted, there's going to be a lot of religious issues, countries that are theocracies, 
their reaction to the portal is going to change their relations to everybody else who happens to have a dissenting view of the portal. Some people are going to see it as the great Satan. Definitely will happen in America. There will be people, there will be groups that will definitely take a religious view on the portal. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Is there going to be any new political parties arising in America because of this? Possibly. Independent parties. Independent or, or, or offshoots. I'd say, though, you will find more parties rising up against than you will for. Because uh, it's easier to stand against somebody than it is to stand for somebody some, or something. But the Green Party came into existence because of the ecological threats that were perceived in the 50s and the 60s. They haven't done much since, but they did come into existence because of that. So here we have this outre interdimensional portal with all the possibilities that that brings with it. Oh, yeah. I really can see a political party coming up. And if it did come up, what would be their agenda? Would they be for or against it? Well, I can see it lighting the fire under like the Greenpeacers saying, ah, we can use this portal to find technology that will you know, help us either save the earth uh, by you know, providing us with clean, techno- clean technology for power generation and so forth, or at least some, some means to help us deal with what we got right now going on, uh, or, or even solve some of the problems like global warming. But it also could be the way for a huge ecological disaster to come through as in the form of a contagion, an animal that might be found and accidentally released on the earth and was a better competitor than we are, or even alien races that when they start being discovered, you know, it's a beachhead. Hatsumi Base is an involuntary beachhead. Broop, broop, broop. And the broops. When What if a bunch of broops decide to start settling down in various places on Earth? Like I said, I'm going to write it into the next version that a tree grows in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. Poor Gordon Conrad's got to buy a vacant lot. And when the, when the broops set up and set up shop and start growing a tree, oh, yeah, people are going to have kittens. <laughs> Alien contamination. You know, but then again, I, I've, I've pointed out to some of my players that there's some strange flora and fauna growing around the Congo base on Victorian Earth that is not native to Earth. It was sort of whoever came there brought some along, maybe some seeds in their fur, for all you know, for all we know. <laughs> and there's strange plants growing around that you can't find on Earth Prime. You got these Victorians who are going out to alien worlds, eating the food there, coming back going on vacation expeditions in the Congo, taking a dump out in the woods. Ten years later, you got the attack of the mushroom people. Looking at the timeline, they actually found the bar and grill world before Earth Prime did. So they probably got that contaminated from Victoria Prime. I'd say Victorians, they know about germ theory, but uh, quarantine is wearing a mask and creosote over their face so they won't get disease. The Victorians are going to be spreading seeds and stuff all over the place. And remember, their Mars is inhabited, and there's creatures living on Mars. So God knows what they have brought back from Mars to their own world. Yeah, anything that's growing on Mars is pretty darn hardy. In the near future, mankind will discover something that will change him forever. An ancient portal system to millions of worlds built by a civilization of advanced alien beings now lost to the ravages of an interdimensional war. 
you will venture forth into the fringes of space and time to find alternate Earths and alien worlds, where he will find a wondrous bounty of knowledge as to who he was and what he might become. He will also find danger at every turn as he encounters hostile societies, alien beings, and the insidious Miller. Fringeworthy, the tabletop game of interdimensional adventure is now available for a D20 system and coming soon to Savage Worlds. Action and adventure await you as you explore through the interdimensional fringes of space to an infinite number of new worlds. Your characters will face danger and excitement around every corner. Sail with Blackbeard on the Seven Seas. Journey to a steampunk Victorian age. Fight the Soviets in an 80s America that lost the Cold War. Travel to an alternate future and witness a supernova from the bridge of a starship and then battle it out with blasters and plasma swords. Use any D20 setting you already own or invent your own. Check out the French Woody Podcast at tritaxsystems.podbean.com to find out more. Whether you've never heard of Fringeworthy or have been playing it for the past 25 years, the Fringeworthy Podcast will entertain and inform you of all the cool stuff you can do with the most all-encompassing setting ever written. Every week, we'll take you on a tour of the fringes of space and give you tips on how to game in this fantastic multiverse. We discuss adventure ideas for the game masters and how to keep your team of characters alive for the players. Go to tritaxsystems.podbean.com and take a listen. You can also find us on iTunes under keyword Fringeworthy. A million million worlds await you. Music by Ernster, available on iTunes. So, what do you think, Amber? What kind of political party would you create based upon the discovery of the Fringe Portal? I am honestly the wrong person to ask because all of this is going completely over my head. Okay, what's the most interesting thing to you about Fringeworthy? For me, it'd be the exploration, the seeing what else is out there. Okay. So nothing on the Earth itself. You're all totally out there, huh? Yeah. Right now in my current game, I tend to bounce between at least one or two sessions on Earth Prime, then several sessions out on the, on the Fringe Pass. So they retain that connection to home. You come back, you're, you're not going to go on another mission. In fact, you know, it's... Only like a two or three is it well a, f- a six hour flight back to uh, Alice Springs. So yeah, you come back, you know, you, you debrief, you go back home, say hi to the wife, fly back for the next mission. Well, you're gonna want to have that downtime. Yeah. The human spirit and the human mind need to have that downtime. If you are out like when in soldiers. They have to get out of the field sometime. They have to have downtime, or otherwise they're going to crack. The same thing with these fringeworthy people. Once they go out on a mission you know, or two, they're going to come back. Medical and psych people are going to say, okay, these people need downtime. Give them four weeks with their family before you send them on their next mission. Yeah, which is why I have actually four teams. There's team one, team two, team three, and team four. And they're going to be rotating back and forth. So there needs to be some ex- exploring going on. There's be at least one team on duty, more or less during the summer uh, so they can at least get some exploring exploration done and the earth prime node is plenty big to, to go up and down just to explore in the first year there's enough places to go to and check out they're open and, and to see like reconnecting with the folks on uh, alt 2 the victorians on alt 2 reconnecting with those folks yes you know so yeah it's it's one of those things where it's I actually had the Mars portal open and the Vesta portal open. So they're basically going out to uh, Mars and dropping off equipment. 
Robots, it's the cheapest Mars mission ever made. It got a trailer with a big old Mars vehicle on it. Shove it on through to make sure that the solar cells are pointing in the right direction. After ten minutes, it fires up and goes off and does its, and does its thing. <laughs> you know, working as ground support crew for a Mars mission would be an ideal mission for some people. <laughs> Just running a Mars mission with people who can, who can drive home at night dressed up after after working 6-12 hours on Mars. <laughs> there. After five long years, my latest invention is complete. Surely it will revolutionize personal transportation for decades to come. Hey, who are you in here? Get, get away from there! You stupid simian sociopath! Don't touch that! Ah, monkeys took my jetpack! Monkeys took my jetpack. At mtmjetpack.com. Okay, let's see. Political party? I would probably say if Earth Prime is in an ecological, environmental danger zone because of overpopulation and pollution, I would probably say the political party would be Sort of a green party, yeah, but you're not so much rabid environmentalist, but you're out there, okay, we're using those fringe paths, we are finding new technologies to help save the world. Yeah. Either better food production, better energy, cleaner energy production, restorative technology, I guess would be the best term to like get rid of pollution and whatnot, I guess environmental restorative technology would be the best term. But yeah, that's what I would do. I would be going, okay, this party in whatever country I'm in, if I'm in America, I would start this party and call it, well, I wouldn't call it the Green Party because I'm sure other nations would, uh, the Restore Earth Party. And you know what? That is, there's a potential for that being a global party, not just a national party. To make sure that everyone can get this technology, you got to make sure every nation is on board. Yeah, because you can't just clean up the ecosystem one country because, you know, like, yeah, we're going to clean the air over America. Um, we do get air from other countries that blows over North America. So it would have to be a world movement. It would have to be a a world a world party. Which means the tinfoil hat brigade, the ones, you know, the black helicopter ground, will be forming the opposite party. Nationalistic parties may actually start much, much more nationalistic than we have right now. Will be forming. They may be quasi-religious. On top of that, forming against those parties. I could see the formation of the opposite. But they're, they're going to be nationalistic, so they won't won't be coordinated like the World Restoration Party would be. There'll be individual groups. In fact, you can actually make a case for multiple nationalistic parties forming. Such that you may actually see something unique in, in, in the American Congress. You may see uh, at some point in time a Congress with more than two parties in it. I can see at some point where some states may go for the uh, the, the rabbit spitting foaming at the mouth party, for, yeah, and another yeah, one going for the Satan is alive party, you know, and having members in Congress. I don't know. <laughs> We're having a hard enough time just with, you know, some of the more independent parties than than these Satan is your buddy party. 
Well, no, Satan is alive, and we got we got to deal with them. Oh, oh, okay. It's a cautionary party. Okay. Well, you're right. It's always easier to set yourself up against something. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else before we bring this to a close? Oh, when you're talking politics, there is one other thing because I think we we've, we've gotten everything about. Well, no, there's one more set of politics you got to worry about. The Victorians. We encountered them in the first year. They've been out there for six months. They will send ambassadors to the UN. Will they uh, petition for membership in the United Nations? At least ambassadorial recognition of of Victorian Earth. England, in both places, may want to actually make stronger ties with each other. There's Queen Victoria, and there's her great-granddaughter. I'm sure politically they would want to form, but culturally it's already been noted in in the D20 that the modern-day Brits see the Victorians, you know, as pompous, and the Victorians see the modern-day Brits as, you know, just very improper and very scandalous. So despite that political binding, there would be a lot of cultural differences that would be going on, and not all of them would be wonderful and... Yeah, I remember describing to my players uh, the Viscount's reaction to his first bevy of steampunk women. (laughs) He's like, they're wearing bustiers and nothing over them. (laughs) And of course, uh, modern Earth Primer's like, and this is a problem, why? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there'd be a lot of film crews and, and a large sums of money that'd be offered to the Fringeworthy to take vacations there and do some filming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, cultural exchanges, yeah, with the Victorians. Yeah, that, now, the Victorians are the first alien race to be found? They're the first. Well, well it's, okay. Like I'm saying up in the, in the current book, and this is not, it is the, the first plot, the first adventure is meeting the Victorians. Okay, all right. So you get to deal with that, and I'm not, I won't go any farther than that. All right. Uh, that that was everything for uh, Paul's question, then, that we covered? I think so. Okay, is that, all right. Let's kick the horse a little bit. Is it still moving? <laughs> wow. Or as Blick says, we kill, we kill the subject, yeah. Oh, my God, leave the horse alone. <laughs> you did not. Fo- have you not followed the thread in our Facebook page about this? <laughs> leave the horse alone. It's dead. I can't win, so I'm, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> oh, you didn't. Oh, I'm going to have nightmares. So, Bruce, you want to try summing this up? Oh, sure. Wrap up is in order. We can, we can make Amber do it if you want to. Yeah, I, I, I'm not that cruel. <laughs> she's already said she's not into the topic at all. She's, I'm surprised she's she's hung out here this long. <laughs> all right, and, and Amber, you need to send us some topics that you're interested in so we can get you more involved. All right, I'll see what I can do. I appreciate that. All right. Well, folks, thanks for joining us for another long-winded but hopefully interesting uh, discussion about some of the Fringeworthy history. We're looking forward to doing the best we can to make your adventures as exciting as possible, and especially if you're playing our games. So we'll be back next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. 
This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.